0: We're we'll turning your Bibles. We're still at Matthew 16. We've been there for a while because there's a whole bunch of different things found in this passage. We're looking at selected events uh, said by Peter. Last time we saw an incredible event. Jesus asked uh, some questions. Let me just throw this up. Uh, Jesus asked, who do you, who, uh, well, he first said, who, who do the people say that I am? And they said, well, you're like John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah or something like that. But he said, but who do you say that I am? And we saw Peter's fifth statement, which he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, that was a powerful statement because he said, you're the Christ, which is the idea that you're the Messiah, you're the Savior, you're the only one of God. And to, to make sure it's clear, you're the son of the living God, you're, you're it, you're the key. And so that, that's the kind of thing. So what did Jesus do? There were two statements made by Jesus that we've seen over these last few weeks. And Jesus said, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And he said to Peter, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. And so what we realized is that Peter, the word for Peter is little rock, and upon the other rock, the word other rock is big rock, I will build my church. And we said there are two real views on it. There's, there's a view from the Catholic Church that Peter is the rock, and the church is built on him, but it doesn't fit because the word for Peter is a little, the word for little rock, and the other rock that Jesus says is a big rock. So most say that Peter's the little rock, the big rock is either Jesus or the statement of faith about Jesus. That's which he'll build his church, and the church is built on, on Christ. That was the key. Then, the second thing, which is really hard, and a lot of people are confused, he talked about the keys of the kingdom, and if you notice, he didn't say the keys to the church, he said the keys to the kingdom, which is a different aspect that all believers will be in the kingdom, and the keys of the kingdom we talked about meant authority and entrance. And and so, the That's where we're we're up to this now. This is where we are. And we see this. Sometimes Peter says some really good things. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. We go, wow, that's fantastic. Sometimes Peter says some bad things. This will not happen to you. Well, what, what is, you know, if you know the passage, you already know what he's talking about. But if you don't, we'll say, well, what did Peter say that wasn't very good? And so we'll see it. And so there's two things we'll see this morning. That's why it may take a little while. We'll go as quickly as really as we can. I don't want to hold us up too much. But we're going to see two things. We're going to see Peter's sixth statement in our study, which is, this will not happen to you. And then we want to talk about the cost of discipleship. So there is a lot there. So let, let's start with that issue first, okay? And let's talk about uh, the, the whole issue. Salvation is a gift and costs us nothing. You understand that it, uh, probably everybody in this room, if I said to you, is salvation a gift? Every one of you would say what? Yes. Yeah. But, you know, if you go to other churches, you go to other places, and you ask people, is salvation a gift? Most people will say, what are you talking about? You have to give your life to Jesus. You have to repent of your sins. You have to, some of you have to get baptized. Sometimes you have to give a public profession. They don't understand. And so when we say that salvation is a gift, costs us nothing, it's by faith, it's grace, we say it calmly. Oh, yeah, yeah. But just to understand that, Most people don't understand that. Most people think salvation is works. It's something they do to get to God. We understand salvation is a gift and discipleship and that's living for Christ actually cost us our lives. It's works. It's our faithfulness. And so there's a difference that when we say how to have eternal life, it's faith alone in Christ alone. We're saved and saved forever. How to be a disciple of Christ. You say, I want my life to come for Christ. I'm going to live for him. I'm going to do the things that he wants me to do. So that's a big difference. One is a gift. The other is works. And that's how it fits together. So, we're going to look at Jesus. He's going to talk about discipleship a little bit further in the passage that we get to. That's why it's kind of a little bit longer because there's two key things we want to see. We have to be clear that Jesus isn't telling his men when he says, take up the cross and follow me. He's not talking to them about eternal life salvation. They're already all saved. And when we say, take up your cross and follow Christ, we're not talking about Uh, eternal life salvation. We're talking about the Christian life. Now, I want you to notice verse 21. This is where we are. We're in the big flow. Look at verse 21 of Matthew 16. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed, and be raised up on the third day. Now, the thing I want you to see is he starts the verse by saying, from that time. Now, I want to show you something you you may not have thought about. This is a turning point. The very first part of the Gospel of Matthew talks a little bit about Jesus' background and everything. And then in chapter 4, verse 17, it says, from that time, or at that time, Jesus began his ministry. And he talked about how he went, and he proclaimed, and he healed people, and he went around. That was the beginning of the ministry. Here, in Matthew 16, verse 21, Matthew uses the exact same words and says, at that time, Jesus began to show his disciples he's going to Jerusalem and die. This is the end of the ministry. So, he's saying, this is how he started it, this is how he ends it. Now, he's ending it by he's heading to Jerusalem to die. And so it says, from that time, we know that Jesus came the first time to what? Why did Jesus come come the first time? Why did Jesus come the first time? To die on the cross, yeah. Now, he offered himself as king, but they rejected him, so he came to die on the cross to pay for sin. And then he rose again, and then he's going to come a second time as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, notice this passage again in verse 21, and that's why I just want you to see it. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, scribes, be killed, and raised up on the third day. So there's four things. Uh, this is the turning point, yeah, four things. Go to Jerusalem, suffer from the religious leaders, be killed, and rise again. This is four things that he says. Let's look at those four things. The first one is to go to Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? Why Jerusalem? Why would Jesus die in Jerusalem? Well, we know that Jerusalem is the capital. Jerusalem is the place where the temple is. If you go all the way back to Abraham... Abraham was told to offer what? His son, Isaac. And where did he offer his son? He didn't do it, but where did he go to offer it? Guess what? He did a three-day journey, and he came to a place called Mount Moriah. The other name for Mount Moriah is Mount Zion. It's exactly the place where the temple was. It wasn't there then, of course, when Abraham was there. It wasn't built till Solomon. And so here is Jesus going to the same place that the foreshadow of Abraham offered up Isaac is a picture of a father offering up his son. 2,000 years later, Jesus goes to Jerusalem for the heavenly father to offer up the son. So it's beautiful. It's in Jerusalem. And this is the place that he would pay for sin. By the way, John one twenty nine, John the Baptist says, there's Jesus, the blank of God. What? The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Where do they offer sacrifices? Where did they offer sacrifices? Where? In the temple? Where was it? It's not a quick question. Jerusalem, right? So that's why he's going to Jerusalem. He's the Lamb of God. He says that he would go to Jerusalem and he would suffer many things by the religious leaders. And then he names who they are. He says the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. The elders were the rulers of the people, the chief priests, the high priest and his family. The scribes were the scholars. He said that he would suffer by these people. Do you remember... Uh, did Jesus suffer by the, from the religious leaders? I thought Romans put him to death. I thought Romans beat him. Did the Romans beat him? Who had him whipped? Caiaphas did. Did the religious leaders hurt him in any way? The answer is, yeah, they sure did. They beat him and hit him a bunch of times. They slapped him in the face and they covered up his face. And they, and they said, tell us who's hitting you. Messiah. They, I mean, they did everything. They were bad. And so, uh, the religious leaders, the rulers, the chief priests, they all made up the Sanhedrin. They were ruling bodies. The third thing, he had to be put to death. Philippians chapter 2 said he humbled himself to be obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Exactly. Jesus died on the cross. Paid for our sins. He was put down as a criminal. By the way, Roman, Roman citizens could never be crucified. If you're a Roman citizen... The death of crucifixion was so horrible that a Roman citizen, even a murderer, could never be crucified. They were just put to death, usually their heads cut off. Because they said a Roman citizen will never suffer the punishment of the cross because it's too horrible. But non Roman citizens were crucified. Jesus wasn't a Roman citizen, so he was crucified. And it says he died. He died on the cross to pay for our sins. Mark 10 says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. First John 2, 2 says he's a satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. He said, I'm going to die. And then here's my favorite one. And he's going to rise up on the third day. Notice, and he will be killed and be raised up on the third day. That's victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? There's not one. Death is not the end. Death is not the end. Jesus Christ has conquered death. For in Adam all die, but in Christ all shall be what? Made alive. And uh, I mean, this is, this is, Jesus tells them this. I'm going to Jerusalem. I will be basically handed over to religious leaders. They will kill me. I will rise again. Did you know in the gospel of Matthew, he says it five times, this statement right here. And they still didn't get it. And Peter's not going to get it right here. What does Jesus say? I'm going to Jerusalem, suffer by the hands of religious leaders, be killed, and rise again. We go, wow, this is, this is, this is amazing. Uh, William Penn said, no pain, no palm, no thorns, no throne, no gall, no glory, no cross, no crown. If he's going to rule, he's got to suffer first. You remember what Satan said to Jesus? I'll give you the kingdoms of the world if you'll bow down to me. What Satan said, you can be king without the cross. You can have the crown without the cross. And Jesus said, no, no, no. You got to have the cross, then the crown. Man's plan. Jesus, stay with us. Let me ask you a question. Did the, the 12, and we'll say the 11, did they want Jesus to leave? Did he tell them he was leaving? Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. We've also had me and my father's house. There are many rooms. If it wasn't that way, I told you. I'm going to go and what? Prepare a place for you. For, you know, get it ready. I'll come back and get you. And they went, don't go. We don't want him to go. If you're with him, would you want him to go? If you're with him right now today and he said, I'm leaving, what would you say? Don't go. It's too fun being with you. Watching you make those Sanhedrin people look so stupid, right? <laughs> they come up and then they go. Whose idea was that to go talk to him? You know, I mean, who, you know, because he, and they all, I'm sure that, uh, the the disciples were laughing, going, look, I, they're so foolish when they go talk to Jesus. Well, man's plan would be Jesus should stay with us, but God's plan is Jesus must die and rise again and deal with sin. So, Jesus says, let's read verse 21. At that time, Jesus began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem the capital, the place of sacrifice, and to suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes. He's going to suffer. And to be killed, Romans are going to ultimately kill him, and be raised up on the third day. What does Jesus say he's going to do? He's going to die and rise again. Isn't that, is not that great news? Wow, wow. They got it, didn't they? No, they didn't. Even after his death and his resurrection and they went out to the tomb and he wasn't there, what did they say? What is going on here? Now, watch Peter. And we can't get too upset at Peter because we might have said the same thing. Jesus said, I'm going to die and rise again. And Peter took him aside. L- let, me, let me help you here, Jesus. Get over here. i got to talk to you a second. He took him aside and, to, and began to rebuke him. <laughs> You're going to rebuke Jesus. Let me tell you where you're off here. (laughs) Has Jesus ever been off on anything? And so he said, they rebuke him saying, Lord, God, forget it, Lord. This shall not happen to you. What is Peter's sixth saying? If I can get it to work. This will not happen to you. By the way, uh, in the Greek, it's double negatives, which in English, double negatives cancel out. But in Greek, it just makes it stronger. He says, God forbid it, Lord, this shall no way and no how ever happen to you. That's what he's really saying. No, 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 no possible way. No possible way. Peter's actually saying that if you'll get over here with me, I'll make sure this doesn't happen. (laughs) I just can see Peter thinking, this is such a good thing. Peter missing the point. Jesus must die. We can't get too upset. You know, we might have been right there with Peter going, if you'll get over here, we'll get some, we'll guard you. We'll guard you. We won't let this happen to you. We're missing the point. What's the point? Jesus didn't go to die forever. He went to die and rise again to pay for sin, to be the Messiah, to be the Savior. So what does Jesus say? But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me, for you're not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. He actually says, go away, Satan. Go away, Satan! He, now, he's, he, some people said he's calling, he's calling Peter the devil. No, he's calling him adversary. The word devil himself, the word Satan means an adversary. It means one who's who's is uh, opposite. You know, adversary. I'm trying to do something different, and Jesus is saying, "We're not trying. You're trying to do a different thing here, and that's what's wrong. Get away." Jesus calls Peter an adversary. He says, "Get behind me. Get away. Move away." This is not the plan. He said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. That means to trip up. He's gone from the rock, Peter, to the stumbling stone. He's tripping over everything. And let me tell you what, we can't get on him because we do the same things all the time. We hear things, we do things. I mean, no telling how many times we've said something and then we look back and say, that that wasn't even right. That wasn't right. And so Jesus says to him, get behind me, adversary. You're a stumbling block to me because you're trying to trip me up. You're tripping everything up because I have to go what? What does he have to do? He has to go and die and rise again. He has to. And remember, don't just say Jesus had to go die. He had to go die and what? Rise again. You cannot leave out the resurrection. Most people do. They say, what what did Jesus do? He died for us on the cross. I go what uh, do, is he still on the cross or is he in the ground where is he he died and rose again I'll never leave off the resurrection he said you're setting your mind on things of god no you're you're setting not you're you're Setting your mind not on the things of God, but the things of man. He said, you're thinking like a man. You're saying, we want you here. We don't want you to leave. We're having more fun with you here. We think it's better that you're here. And he's saying, you're thinking like a person, like a... You're looking at the plans of men instead of the main plans of God. You're looking at man's interest, not God's interest. Wow. And so often we say, oh, Lord, I want this. And what we should say is, Lord, if it be your will, I want this. He said, Tim, you know, be anxious for nothing but everything but prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known. But we can let our requests be made known. But it doesn't mean that we say, this is what I want, and you know it. You could say, this is what I really want. But, you know, Lord, I have to trust you. Your plans are going to always be better than mine. So let me raise some questions. Are our lives dedicated to doing God's will? Peter's, at, that, at this stage, I don't mean it bad, but Peter's saying, we're going to do our will, not your will. Our will is to keep you here. Your will is to die and rise again. Are our lives dedicated to doing God's will? What, what God wants. We must know his word. I mean, to what God wants, how do we know? We have to know his word. Here's another question. Do we desire God's plan to be accomplished through our lives? It's easy to wake up every day and just say, I do my thing. We don't do our thing. We don't have a thing, okay? We do his thing. It's God through us. We, we are his ambassadors. We are his children. We are his servants. We have been bought with a price. We're not our own. We're to glorify God in our bodies. So do we desire that God's plan be accomplished through our lives? We already know what he wants us to do. He says make disciples. Lead people to Christ and train and equip them. That's what we're supposed to do. Third question. Do we see our purpose on this earth is to glorify God in all that we do? I mean, sometimes we don't think about him. We should, when we wake up, say, Lord, what do you have for me today? And when you go to bed, you should say, thank you, Lord, for this and for lunchtime and this and that and this. And what you did, thank you, Lord. Our minds should be on the things of God. Now, with that in mind, Jesus changes right in the middle of this. Because what Peter is really saying, I want what I want. And Jesus is going to say, no, 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 no. You should want what I want for you. And so we're going to see this issue of discipleship. So we have a few minutes, so let's, let's look at this. Because if you may wonder, this is all in the same flow. This is not a whole separate event. Look at the flow. He says, get behind me, Satan, you're a stumbling block to me, for you're not setting your mind on God's interest but man's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Look what he says. He's discipleship. It's discipleship. Right in the middle of Peter saying, we don't want this to happen to you because this is what I really want. I want to protect you. And Jesus said, it's not about you and it's not what you want. It's discipleship. It's you living for me. It's your life counting for me. See, God's not there for us. I didn't want to say it in a bad way. We're there for him. We belong to him. Now, he's going to take care of us and everything. Now, I love this quote by Vance Havner. A believer comes to Christ, the disciples follows after him. (laughs) It's so true. See, there's people who think that you become a disciple and you're saved. And if you're not a disciple, you're not a Christian. That's wrong. Discipleship costs you. Salvation doesn't cost you at all. It's a gift. Notice what Jesus said. And Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, that's to follow me, he's got to deny himself, take up the cross, and follow me. Follow A believer comes to Christ by faith and believes in him. A disciple follows after him and says, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. He says, take up your cross. It's a symbol of death. See, nowadays, I mean, I have a cross. A lot of people have crosses. And it's jewelry and it's saying, oh, this is Jesus. This is where Jesus died for us and this is what we think about. But in that day and time, cross wasn't anything good at all. In fact, it was horrible. And to him to say, take up your cross and follow me, didn't mean, I know you got a bad leg. And so taking up your cross is, is to suffer. No, taking up your cross is to die to yourself and to say, my life is not my life. My life belongs to Jesus. And wherever he wants me to go and whatever he wants me to do, I will do, I'm going to take up my cross deny myself say it, it's not up to me where I want to go or what I want to do it's whatever Jesus wants he says, he says take up your cross and follow me for whoever wishes to save his life live for yourself, you're going to lose it but whoever wishes to lose his life for my sake give it up you will find it take up the cross Spurgeon said there are no crown bear- wearers in heaven who are not cross bearers on the earth that's true to get a crown, you have to serve him. I mean, a person believes in Jesus Christ, they, they had eternal life and they're in the kingdom, but that doesn't mean they're going to rule. That doesn't mean they're going to have any places of responsibility. People who serve God get the places of responsibility. That's why he says, well done, good, and faithful what? Servant. Servant. Take up your cross, follow me. The word follow there has the idea of keep on following and keep on following me. A disciple counts the cost, gives up his life, and follows Christ. That's the biggest decision you'll ever make in your life, by the way. As far as what you do. Salvation is you're receiving a gift. It's not what you Salvation's not what you do. You're, you're persuaded that Jesus Christ gives you eternal life. You believe that He is the Savior and that He is your Savior. It's not what you do, you're receiving the gift. But now, discipleship, you it it's a cost, and you give up your life. That's why I, 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 you know, I trusted Christ when I was 19. But when I was 26, is when I came home from a football practice and said to God, "I want my life to count for you." I'll go where, and it's the scariest thing I've ever did, ever did. I said, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do anything you want me to do. I was a coach. I loved being a coach. I thought I would be a coach for the rest of my life. That's what I thought. But I also said, whatever you want me to do, I'll be willing to do it, and I'll go anywhere. And over the next three to four years, he changed my desires so much that I didn't want to be a coach anymore. I wanted to get to be a pastor. And I love it. Right? But I also say to him, whatever you want me to do, do you want me to stay here? i love to stay here. I'd love to die here. Not right this minute or anything, but I'd love to I'd love to all the go all the way through because I love our church. I love everything about it. But that's what you say. Lord, I want my life to come for you and I'll go wherever you want me to go and I'll do whatever you want me to do. I love verse 25. Whoever wishes to save his life, you want to keep your life, you're going to lose it because you get to the end, you got nothing. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You'll have it all. He's not talking about salvation. And y'all, you got to be careful because There are so many people out there that tie in works for salvation. And they think discipleship is salvation. Let me give you you two quick examples. One is what we call lordship salvation, in which you make Jesus lord of your life. You agree to serve him in order to get saved. You say, oh, Lord, I give my life to you so I can have eternal life, and I agree to live for you. How many tracts have you ever seen that say those exact things for a person to be saved? That's works for salvation. They're making discipleship the salvation issue, and it's not. Then you have the other group. There's another group on the flip side that say something like this. You're saved by faith in Christ, but a true believer will serve God. So they put the works on the back side. And this group says, if you don't serve God, you're never saved. Or you might be saved, but you could lose it because you could serve for a little bit and then stop serving, then, you, you know, you lost it. This group says, if you don't serve God, you thought you were saved, but you never were. You just thought you were because you didn't do good works. So there's all those people out there that have good works either on the front end or the back end all telling people that you better do good or you better look at your life, and they all think salvation is a reward, that you earned it. Salvation is a gift. Rewards are what's earned by your good works. So I hope, I hope every one of you in this room, and I know most everybody in this room, that you have believed in Christ for eternal life so you're saved and saved forever. And then I hope you've come to a point somewhere in your life That you said, Lord, I give you my life. I'll go wherever you want me to do. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Take the gifts, talents, and abilities that I've got. And I want my life to count for you. I know it's scary. If you hadn't done it, it's scary. Because you're saying to God, I give up my life. But listen, you hadn't done that good with it anyway, right? (laughs) Think about it. We look back and we go, you know, most people say, my life's a mess. Yeah, it's a mess. Look at it. Give it to the Lord for service. And your life won't be a mess. It'll bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. Well, so the plan of Jesus is take up the cross and follow him. So Peter says, we're not going to let this happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, adversary. You're looking at the things from man's point of view, which is for me to stay here. But I'm looking at things from God's point of view, which is I've got to die and rise again to provide the salvation. So, let me give you some applications. Let's understand God's plan for salvation. See, man's plan is what? Do what's right. Do good. God will love you. Keep the law. Try to live a good life. You know, where do you think, where do you think this whole idea of doing good to get to God comes from? Huh? Say it. Satan. Satan exactly. That's his false. He has a false gospel. His false gospel is do good and God will love you. Guess what? You can't do good and God already loves you. There's no unrighteous, no, not one. You're not good. None of us are good. None of us can do any. Our our righteousness is what? Filthy rags. So Satan has a lie. The lie is do good. Do good and God will love you. Do what's right. Keep the law. How many people have ever kept the law? One, but that's the God, man. That's the God-man. I tricked you. It's no person did it, only the God-man. Let's just try to live a good life. By the way, how good do you have to be if you try to live a good life? Yeah, well, you look around and you're better than most people around you, which is not that hard, right? In our culture today, you could say, I'm pretty much in good shape, right? And then you realize that you've fallen short of God's glory too. There's none righteous, no, not one. That's man's plan. Here's God's plan. Jesus' death and resurrection. He paid the penalty. He died and rose again. He offers the gift of eternal life. It's not what we do, but what Jesus has done. And whoever believes in him has what? Aren't you glad it's faith alone and Christ alone, and it's not what you have to do or keep doing? Because guess what? We can't do it. And all these people out there who are saying, do this and do this, they never know they're saved, and they can never know that they're saved. If it depends on works, actions, faithfulness, you can never know. I talked to a guy, it's been about four or five years ago, and we were talking about it. And he basically says, if you're a believer, you'll live righteously. And I said, so are you living righteously? He said, pretty much. I said, okay, pretty much. What does that mean? I said, what about five years from now? Are you going to be living righteously? And he said, I, 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 I hope so. I said, but you don't know. You don't know five years from now whether you're going to be living righteously or not. And what if five years from now, you're not living righteously, which you don't know whether you are or not? What does that tell you? According to what you believe five years from now, if you're not living righteously, you never were a believer. They can have no assurance of salvation. Anytime you look to something other than Jesus Christ, you can have no assurance of salvation. So we got the great plan, right? It's God's plan. Well, it should be great as his plan, right? Second, let's understand the cost of discipleship. Romans 12, 1 and 2, we offer our lives as a living sacrifice. Wow. That, that's probably the big, you know, other, salvation, we, we just take it. We go, oh, thank you, Lord. I, get, I have eternal life. I'm saved. I'm saved forever. It's not what I did. It's what Jesus did. He's my Savior. And we re, this one's a big one. This one is what we do when we say to God, I give you my life. Now, he's going to use us. It's going to be his power through us. It's not our power. His power through us. But it's a big decision to say, Lord, take my life. See, salvation is a gift, costs nothing but discipleship, costs us our lives.